0: Welcome to BIV Today, the business intelligence podcast from business in Vancouver. I'm Haley Wooden, executive editor of BIV. I want to share with you a line from a column in BIV's upcoming Women in Business magazine. The piece starts like this. The world of business wasn't designed to favor women. That column was written by Amy Robichaud, Executive Director of Dress for Success Vancouver, which on November 2nd is hosting its 10th Annual Success Luncheon. Amy joins me today on this podcast to talk more about her organization and how it supports women. Amy, thanks so much for coming on the show and for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. Always happy to be in conversation with business in Vancouver.
0: And congratulations on 10 years. That's a big milestone. Yeah,
1: ten years of this event is uh, feels pretty significant. Um, of course, we're coming up on our 25th anniversary of the organization uh, in 2024, so we're uh, this is a practice run for us, I think.
0: <laughs> well, I think this event in particular and the work of your organization it's well recognized in our community. But for those who maybe don't know everything, tell us a bit about the mission and the purpose of Dress for Success Vancouver.
1: Uh, absolutely. So Dress for Success Vancouver helps women find good jobs, uh, financial stability and personal success. Um, it's just that simple and just that hard. (laughs) Our mission is to empower women into, uh, into, into all those pieces, into financial stability, into good jobs, into personal success. And we do that through our namesake program, through providing professional business attire for interviews and for women who are starting afresh in the world of business. Um, but we also do that through a multitude of uh, pre-employment job retention and professional development programs, as well as wraparound services like one-on-one peer support, mental health support, uh, and access to other community services.
0: That's great. I like how you say it's just that simple and it's just that hard. At this point in time in the economy, there's so many jobs, so many employers struggling to find candidates to fill all kinds of positions. Why is it still hard what are the barriers that face women in in finding personal success and successful employment
1: yeah so what we've found uh through working with our clients is that uh all of these new job opportunities and all of these vacancies that are open they're much easier to get these days if you already have a job so if you are already part of the economy part of the workforce um in so many instances for men and women, uh, it's easier to uh, transition, it's easier to find a promotion. But if you were struggling to enter into the economy before this, if you were already facing these barriers to entry, and that could be everything from poverty to uh, lack of Canadian experience, to uh, lack of access to, to technology, to hunt for jobs, and um, you are still facing those barriers. Uh, and another barrier for, for women that uh, has, has always existed, and we've talked about, I think, a lot more in the media of late is childcare. So if you were already facing a childcare crisis before these job openings started popping up everywhere, you're still facing that childcare crisis. So in short, uh, easier to get, a job, get another job if you already have one, still very difficult to break into the workforce, um, not just at an entry level, but in particular into meaningful work. So a lot of our clients um, are part-time employed or underemployed, not using their skills, not able to, to really earn at their highest potential. And they're, we're finding and they're finding they're still struggling to make that transition into what we call good jobs um, or what you know academics might call full employment.
0: Well said. And I certainly thought of childcare when I read your column and thinking about how our economy in the business world isn't necessarily designed for people to hold down, to be a primary breadwinner and be the primary person who cares for a family or cares for children. Totally. And and unless
1: the listeners think I'm picking on the business world by saying that the business world wasn't designed for women, uh, I'll I'll be clear here. The world in general, as in the society we live in, weren't designed to favor women. Um, And it's from little pieces uh, that we just have been overlooked. And now we're trying to, you know, still we're less than 100 years trying to, you know, make it work for women. um, To bigger pieces where women were intentionally for the majority of uh, our modern economy deliberately kept out of it. Um, so there's the multitude of, of areas where, um, women are trying to, you know, find a way to fit in, or even those, I mean, or we're as a society trying a way to fit women in. But the basis that we're all starting from is one of exclusion, um, intentional or, you know, benign.
0: I'm curious, how much have, needs changed over say the 10 years you've been running this event, or even if you say the 25 years of the history of the organization, has there been a lot of change in need and the barriers facing women or have they stayed sort of relatively the same?
1: I would love to be
0: able to tell you that things have gotten a lot easier, that women find jobs quicker,
1: that they keep them longer, that they're making more money at them. Um, But I can't. Uh, We, if anything, it's become a more complex set of barriers. So, since Dress for Success opened its doors in 1999, we've seen job searching go almost entirely digital. Um, And if you are, um, you know, struggling to make ends meet or struggling with uh, poverty, you likely don't have access to a home computer or reliable Wi-Fi. Sometimes, not even a smartphone. So, you're relying on libraries. You're relying on, um, you know, access to Wi-Fi. Uh, in other establishments. Uh, and we saw in the last you know, 500, 600 days that the ability to do that was even less. Um, we are also seeing that uh, the cost of living has gone up. Some women are having to, you know, if before you were able to make it work on a single income or a one income household, even more were not able to do that. And we already knew that through the 90s, the 80s and the 90s, but it is even more acute today. Um, you know, the a living wage for a single parent in Vancouver is uh, today is uh, I think just over $46 an hour. And that's not, that's not a, you know, when I say a living wage, I don't mean a wage that's going to let people go on vacation all the time and and have a coffee, you know, on their way to work in the morning. I mean, a, a wage that's going to allow food on the table, a roof over there and their child's head, and, um, Allow them to enroll in school and have money for necessities like food and clothing and transportation, um, and so that's a that's a, a pretty high wage when we think about what's on the offer right now, um, even in many of these job openings. And the you know I'd say between 1999 and now, or even between um, 2012 and now, when we started the success luncheon to support our work, uh, it's harder and harder to find a wage that matches the need for just a basic um, sustainable livelihood here in Vancouver. Uh, And of course you add on all the other complexities of the economy to that in 2008, we saw lots of jobs shed from the economy. We saw them shed again during and after the pandemic. And we know that the sectors that women worked in were hit harder or were hit longer and that women are still to this day recovering slower. in terms of uh, in terms of their employment, um, and I'm not a parent, and so I I, I hesitate to say with certainty that childcare is harder to access now than it was 10 years ago. Uh, but I'm going to go with it is harder to access now than it was 10 years ago, uh, seeing as we're um, we're you know especially in urban centers where we're moving more and more of our schools and our locations out of areas where people need to live and work
0: hmm As a result of, you know, cost of living increases, the pandemic, the quote-unquote she-session, as some people put it, have you seen anecdotally more people needing your services, more people coming to Dress for Success Vancouver and needing different supports? Oh,
1: not just anecdotally. Statistically, I can tell you that the demand for our services is up. And I can also tell you that we are finding women reaching out to use our services sooner with more complex needs before they even are able to start the job search and staying with our services longer so the demand for our um our job retention and our professional development programs uh once women find that first job uh, they're staying with us longer on those so the this the starting point is starting earlier and we're we're sticking with clients longer um so that's a testament Um, That my numbers are showing me to the complexity of the problems that are that are happening. Uh, We've also expanded our services because the demand has been there. We, you know, now offer uh, one on one mental health appointments with clinical um, uh, counselors. uh, And that is one of our most requested programs. It is one of the highest subscribed and most requested programs. And it's not surprising you think about what we've all been through in the last 500 days. But you also think about just the pressures of Uh, trying to sustain a family or, uh, you know, as I've said on multiple occasions, just exist while female, Um, you know, really lead to one wanting help and access to that help that is affordable um, is non-existent in this country Mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, pretty much everybody.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's also just a lot of uncertainty too, which weighs on you. There's a, there's a cost to that and it's certainly a stress.
1: Absolutely. Well, there's a real cost to uncertainty. And and I'm sure somebody smarter than me, um, an economist, I'm sure you can find or somebody who's a senior business leader is going to be able to tell you that uh, when you're, you know, when your workforce is uncertain, or when you're uncertain, there's a there is a bottom line cost of that uncertainty, in addition to a physical and psychological cost to to living without the ability to to really formulate a plan or feel like you have a a a strong sense of direction of where, where you can go, where you should go, what's going to work. Um, And what we know is that when our, when our workforce is less healthy, our bottom lines are less healthy. Uh, And what we try to do at Dress for Success Vancouver is just expand the pool of, of folks we can put into the workforce by ensuring that all women who want to work, get to work and work at their highest potential, but also that while they're doing that, they're able to perform at their highest potential and then continue to reach it. Um, And uh, if you're sitting here and and listening to this and thinking, isn't that something that businesses are supposed to be doing for their employees? I absolutely agree. And many great businesses do, but there is still a huge gap in terms of both a gendered approach to that. And also just the uh, availability and the willingness of employers to step up and ensure that their workforce aren't just productive, but that they are, um, Uh, certain, healthy, successful in a way that leads to that productivity to be continued.
0: So on that note, what moves the needle? What are some of the big things that can be done that will make a meaningful difference? And what are maybe some of the smaller things that we might take for granted, but really have a big impact when we try and elevate and support women?
1: Absolutely. So we know that the, the one of the single biggest impacts that moves the needle for women in the workforce is, is leadership accountability. So the C-suite actually taking an interest as a whole in finding uh, more women in the workforce, advancing more women through their companies. So it starts from the top and it has to come out of the, the president's office, the chief executive office. Uh, It can't just be with the chief human resource officer or a diversity and inclusion consultant. It has to be sort of pervasive and start from the top. Um, So we know that that's the single biggest metric is a desire and a plan uh, to do that. The next thing is measuring it. So actually having um, uh, the, the programs and the, and the performances and performance measurements in place to measure how, how your company is doing in terms of bringing women into the company at all levels and moving women through the company at all levels. Um, and, the, and the third thing that we know that is really effective for women once they're in the workforce is what's known as affinity groups. So women's groups within the organizations that are going to be able, where they can find peer support, they can discuss um, and work through and bring forward ideas to uh, um, a sensitive and enthusiastic leadership who wants to implement those. Uh, so we know that all three of those things really do matter. In terms of getting women into the workforce, childcare, the biggest, biggest differentiator. And I have to say, that's not just women. That's now anybody who's got to make a choice with both parents working. Um, so that is a family problem. It's not just a, a, a women's problem. Um, so childcare makes a huge difference. Uh, and then what we know from our clients is that there are, uh, is that a plurality of our clients are newcomers. And these are skilled women who are coming with um, sometimes multiple post-secondary degrees and are still facing that question of, well, what Canadian experience do you have? Um, and not just in technical fields but in all sorts of fields so recognizing and looking at uh, at testing for competency as opposed to location of, of skills being gained is really important so we know that if companies were to say uh, hey we'll bring you on for a trial period and, and check your competencies we'd be hiring many more foreign credentialed uh, mm-hmm. individuals not just women but from our perspective in particular um, it's the the engineers and the doctors and the accountants and the um, uh, logistics specialists, the recruitment specialists who are coming here and working way under their ability because they're not being given an opportunity to demonstrate that their competencies translate over.
0: Well, and there's so much need in the economy too. Like why not look for well, those people? <laughs> well, that's the thing that,
1: you know, has me, you know, pulling my hair out uh, a little bit right now is that, you know, we're, we're, and I've sat in probably not quite as many business firms as you have, but many where we're saying we, we need to build a resilient economy. We need to stabilize the pipeline for the, you know, our workforce pipeline. We need to ensure that we're promoting folks all the way through the company so that every investment in an employee has a good return on return on it. Uh, and I, I pull my hair, I'm sitting there pulling my hair out in the back of the room because the best way to include to ensure we have a a resilient economy is to have an inclusive economy we we really as a country um but let's be specific we really as a province can't afford to leave any opportunity on the table when it comes to building growing sustaining and creating our economy uh and that of course uh in canada and in bc with our demographics absolutely has to include newcomers uh we're just not you know creating enough of a domestic workforce so we have to be bringing folks in that competition is only going to get is only going to increase over the next few years uh and when we have uh when we know that women are participating in the economy locally at a smaller percentage point it's not because they don't want to it's because they're they're facing these really systemic and very real barriers to entry that we can name and so if we can name them we should be able to do something about them
0: I I was thinking too, I often, I have a tendency to think of childcare and how we're going to address that as sort of a government issue. We've certainly seen provincial and federal governments throw more money behind making that a more affordable reality, but to the point about retention and how you attract people and create an inclusive workspace, I mean, instead of offering certain kinds of ping pong table, you know, beer tap type perks. Are you seeing more companies go the extra step and make a, what would be a more significant investment, but say have their own childcare and offer that as a resource and not wait for say government to make the investments to then trickle down and, and help people out?
1: You know, I don't think we're seeing that at the, at the pace that, we're, that we should as of yet. Like I, there aren't any major examples that come to mind of companies who've been like, hey, you know what? This $10 a day childcare is not gonna come fast enough. We're going to open a center in our building so that when we want to bring our folks, our clients together and our staff together, we'll be able to do that without having to worry about childminding. I'm not seeing that uh, as of yet. I think it should definitely happen. Um, I think the, the thing that's really important is that when we think about the kind of perks or benefits that organizations want to offer their employees, that we we do apply a bit of a gendered lens to that. Like, listen, I love uh, you know a, a beer o'clock on a Friday at three o'clock just <laughs> as much as the next person, um, but. It's not going to be inclusive for everybody. It's not going to be inclusive for folks who either don't drink. Uh, it's not going to be inclusive for folks who have long commutes, which is going to be pretty much anybody who can't afford to live in Metro Vancouver, which let's, 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 you know, face it is more and more people every day. Uh, so, and it's also not going to be inclusive for folks who have to run to pick up their kid from childcare or pick up their kid from school or uh, or who have other caregiving responsibilities, and um, we're seeing more and more folks with with caregiving responsibilities, both with with younger family members and older family members. So I, I I think it's important to think about how we physically build our office spaces to include spaces that accommodate, um, you know, being able to bring if you're breastfeeding, be able to bring your child into work and have a private place to do that. Um, if you are having to do deep work, but me with a client, have space available to do those pieces. Um, I think it's important that, you know, one thing we got a little bit closer to with, uh, you know, forced to work from home from the pandemic was realizing that we could have somebody duck out and be a lunchroom monitor in their kid's school and come back and still work a full day and be really productive and likely be more productive because they're not worried about balancing (laughs) that balancing act that they're trying to do nearly as much. And I think that the other piece is is when you're thinking even at the executive level, but the kind of packages you provide. um, You know, a private club membership might be lovely for somebody. Um, uh, Again, I wouldn't turn it down. But uh, you know, a a corporate vehicle that can fit a family, or um, you know, enhanced health benefits that uh, cover um, you know extracurriculars for children or um, or other pieces. I think is really really important. Um, And and I think it, it that. Comes into all of uh, all of what we need to do when I talk about how the business world is, you know, wasn't built for women. Lots of companies have gotten better at accommodating women or changing some things, but we're still starting from this baseline where we assume that your typical employee employee is going to be male or male presenting, um, and it's always a matter of accommodating. And uh, if you think about a, a space that. Uh, wasn't built for you but then or any space that wasn't built for its original purpose but then transformed into something you can always kind of tell what it used to be and you can always kind of see the bones in there and be like oh yeah this this you know lovely restaurant was once a hockey arena like you can always sort of know that um and it's the same uh sort of subtle but pervasive feeling um psychologically and physically that women deal with on a daily basis
0: I think well said and everything um, you said, I think makes me think of the importance of having diversity around the decision-making table too, to even come up with and generate ideas that will be more inclusive. um, Like all the ideas you just mentioned.
1: Yeah. Well, and and again, you know, I'm not going to, I don't have to name them, but that's been pretty decisively proven. that The, the, the yeah. more different voices, backgrounds, genders you have around the leadership table, the more creative and prosperous your, your company is going to be. Um, and so, uh, you know, and if you're struggling to figure out how to get people there, I think the, the key is to turn inwards and go, okay, what parts of our systems or our pipeline? Like, where's the blockage versus... It's, it's not the people who are the problem and it's not the organization or the people in the organization who are the problem either. It's the structure and it's the design. And we can all, we can all uh, you know, put our attention towards creatively changing designs. Um, you don't have to change people necessarily in that, in that scenario. Uh, you know, and, and I think about the, the, just the return on investment that we see for investing in uh, getting women into the workforce. And I think about with Dress for Success Vancouver, you know, we're, we are a charity we like to call ourselves small and scrappy, although we're getting bigger out of necessity. Um, but, you know, over the last 23 years, we have about a 13,000% return on investment for every dollar put into our organization versus wage dollar that our clients have earned and put back into the economy. And, uh, and that's, you know, I think that's pretty impressive. I, I, I feel, you know, if I was running a business, I'd be quite happy with that return on investment. Yeah. Um, It's not what motivates me, um, but I hope it motivates our donors. What motivates me is seeing families and women go from, I'm almost giving up and I don't know where else to go. So here I am with you to, I can't believe how successful I am. I can't believe how supportive this community is. I can't believe how much I feel like I belong. And um, just see them go through promotion after promotion um, after finding a job that they never thought they'd find in the first place uh, and having that support to do that. And like that's what motivates me on a daily basis. Um, but that return on investment isn't insignificant for our economy. It's over a billion dollars since we've opened our doors of wages of women who have come through uh, our services. And yes, they probably would have found jobs anyway, but we definitely help them find them quicker, keep them longer and progress, progress sooner in them um, all of things that we're saying we need every day to grow and stabilize our economy.
0: That's amazing. That's an amazing figure. And you should be very, very proud of that. I can hear that you are on that note. I mean, what are you looking for from the business and corporate community? If they're listening to this podcast, they've heard all about the amazing work that you're doing. What are you looking for and how can they maybe get engaged?
1: So I'm looking for, uh, two things from them. I'm looking for, uh, corporate. I'm always looking for money. Like again, I run a charity, so I'm I'm looking for financial support. Uh, I can guarantee you a high return on that investment. We're able to turn turn donation dollars into significant impact for for women joining the workforce and for the workers who are in our workforce. I'm also looking for engagement. I'm looking for. Uh, Vancouver businesses to be curious about the kind of women that we're that are coming through our doors, to be curious about how they can become involved and meet our clients, um, to be curious about how they can volunteer with us to get to know our clients or get to know our services. um, And to reach out and have conversations with folks like myself or my senior leadership team or the people on my board around why we do what we do. Because it's it's, you know, for me, it is because I live here, I work here, and I want this economy to succeed. It's what drew me to this job. Um, There are so many ways to help and be charitable, but the reason I do this work and the reason I think this work matters is that this work is creating uh, like cyclical sustainability um, and it's creating sustainable livelihoods for women and families across the region. Um, And we know that when folks move from crisis to a sustainable livelihood, they give back to the community. They're more civically engaged, they spend more money because they have discretionary spending, which helps other businesses. And our long, our only goal is to is to move our clients into that scenario. So it's really about making happier, healthier lives that are also, you know, the most um, effective economic units that we possibly can.
0: <laughs> uh, you mentioned people being curious about the women who come to you for services. Do you mind sharing? Not to say that people would stereotype about that, but I'm sure that there are maybe people from all kinds of different backgrounds and situations, and it maybe would be surprising to people to hear about who might need support. Do you mind sharing some general examples?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I I mentioned earlier that a plurality of our clients are newcomers, um, and most of those newcomers um, are skilled, they're educated, and they have post-secondary, they worked in professional settings before they came here, um, and they have struggled with the Canadian experience bias once landing. Um, and so, uh, you know, typically our clients have, uh, have higher levels of education and have a professional background. Um, we also serve a, a, a bunch of, a, a, you know, a, a, a good portion of our clients come to us having had to exit the workforce for one reason or another, whether it was to care for a child or for an elderly parent or whether it was because they themselves were ill. Um, and they're struggling to get back into it. So a lot of our clients have experience, have a desire to come back in, but um, are finding a mismatch in terms of their understanding, expectations, how to do that, how to get in. And that's a huge barrier in and of itself. Um, and the, the, the last thing is that a lot of our clients are facing, um, you know, they're, they're folks who are struggling to make ends meet because they've had one or two acute experiences that have, you know, put them in a position of, you Of being out of the economy. Uh, It's not systemic for a lot of our clients. It's that they're they're down on their luck. And the only difference between one of my clients and me, or you say, Haley, is that you and I have benefited from um, a a community of professional and personal support that we were able to turn to when we faced uncertainty that we talked about earlier. Um, And they were able to give us good advice, make introductions for us, Um, They were able to put us in the right places. We were able to rest when we needed to and come back stronger because we had the privilege of doing that. The only difference is that that was organic in our lives. And what we do at Dress for Success Vancouver is create that for our clients. We create those references those opportunities for good advices, opportunities for introductions. Um, And our network, um, so when we talk about affinity groups or affinity networks being a big, a big determinant of success for women, um, just for Success Vancouver is creating that network for our clients. So when I say get curious about our clients, I mean, come join that network, be part of the community that is that is saying, you know, who's... Who 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 might we not know who would be a great fit for this job? Um, who's not been brought into our networks before? Uh, at the success luncheon this year, we'll be hearing from our inspiration award winner, who's one of our clients. We award this every year to one of our clients who's inspired us um, the most over the course of these twelve months. And Sylvia Ivanov is our inspiration award winner this year, and she uh, she was a newcomer. She came to Canada in nineteen in uh, twenty seventeen, um, was you know had. You know, came from Brazil, thought she had excellent business English and in fact did in Brazil, landed here and realized that it was just way harder. Um, that there was she didn't have that network. She didn't have the support. She had no employers who knew her previous employers who could make that connection. And so getting her foot in the door was that much harder. And when she came to Dress for Success, what she found was really a community and a, and a business and a personal network of support that helped her get her foot in the door places. And now not only is she uh, working in her field again, she just received a massive promotion And her company is one of the platinum sponsors at Success Luncheon. So when we talk about uh, really that return on investment for our economy and what folks are doing, uh, you know, Sylvia is a great example of that. And she is, I would say, an example of our typical client, somebody who is so much potential that is under realized because they're not connected in the right ways.
0: I'm looking forward to hearing more of her story at the Success Luncheon in November. Before I let you go, Amy, um, a quick opportunity to plug how people can get in touch with you or if they want to attend the luncheon, what they can do.
1: Absolutely. So at dfsvancouver.ca is our website. Um, all of our contact information is on there. You can also find me on probably any social more often than I should be. Uh, so please reach <laughs> out, uh, drop me an email. Uh, uh, you can connect that through dfsvancouver.ca. If anybody is interested in coming to the luncheon, we've got a couple tables left and a couple of our lower level sponsorship levels still open um, and they can head to successluncheon.ca uh, and grab a table or a ticket and join us for Um, uh, really, you know, an inspiring afternoon and look opportunities for serotonin and dopamine right now are are in short supply. (laughs) So I'd say if you want to give yourself or your employees just a little bit of of their own confidence boost to bring that productivity up between now and the end of the fiscal or end of the calendar year, uh, it's well worth um, a little bit of money to support our work as well as uh, to a few hours in an an afternoon that's going to sustain some of that emotional uh, resiliency over the course of the next few weeks.
0: That's great. I love that. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to chat with you.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: The Dress for Success Vancouver's 10th Annual Success Luncheon takes place on November 2nd. You can learn more at the URL shared by Amy. And if you want to read her column coming up in our Women in Business magazine, that comes out October 24th and will be online at biv.com in the days after that. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor of Business in Vancouver, Amy Robichaud, Executive Director of Dress for Success Vancouver, joining me today on the show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. We'll catch you next time.